You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogakshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only. Welcome to episode 7 of the Go Full Crypto podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about financial literacy. For all of those listening on various podcast channels, just a heads up that we've now started a YouTube channel and this is the first episode that is being recorded. So follow us on YouTube as well if you want to be subscribed and get updated and all of the learning material that we will create that you can reference to navigate your way in the world of crypto. All right, let's get started with financial literacy. So the best place to start is the very, very beginning of when Keegan, you and I learned about finances. Why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, sure thing. So financial literacy really started with me understanding the value of the dollar and what it takes to earn a dollar and then what that dollar can actually buy me or get me. And money's a really abstract concept. And so for me, it was uh, it, it all started with my grandfather teaching me and paying me to do little menial jobs wherein I earned a dollar and then I would it would take me to the store and I could buy, you know, a, a pouch of candy, for example. And just that whole cycle of, OK, I've worked, I've earned a dollar and now I can buy something I want. That was the start of financial literacy for me. How old were you when that happened? I think I was only five or six. Cool, but you it wasn't dubbed as, this is how finances work. No, but I do distinctly remember my grandfather saying, like, you have to learn the value of a dollar. And that's because he he took himself from rags to riches. And in a, that, that's a like a story of going from the lower, lower class to the middle class. Uh, he was his own entrepreneur, his own boss. Uh, he... Uh, supported his family, sold uh, pots, pans, used cars, just whatever he could get his hands on to sell to support his family. And so for me, that was, he was a role model in that way. And he really demonstrated to me that he kind of knew what he was talking about. At least that's what I thought at the time. That's fantastic. So you watched him um, work and you watched him create something of value. And then he taught that to you. Yeah, that's right. And I'm glad that you use that terminology, the creating something of value. And that's that's a really important thing to, to strike on is uh, like a value exchange happens when two people agree that the, the, the thing that is being exchanged has value. I'm willing to exchange my dollars for your apples and or vice versa. And we both get what we want. You wanted dollars, I wanted apples, we're both happy. And that's a that's a value exchange. We're both better off because we engaged in that mutually beneficial uh, exchange or transfer, transaction, whatever you, want, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. We watched a video just recently on how the economy works. 
And I distinctly remember one thing that was repeated several times, and it was um, a transaction is one person's spending being one person's income. And just like you very aptly pointed out, both people get what they want, but the, the exchange takes place where one um, one is what a good or a service is being exchanged for money. And that's pretty cool. There is one thought that is said by Shakespeare. It says, strive to be a person of value rather than being a person of success. Mm-hmm. And I really resonate with that because even when I was growing up um, and I was really, really young until about seven or eight, where I lived in the apartment in Pune, my India. dad in India, my dad <laughs> and my mom's offices were all on the, in the same apartment. There was merely a curtain that separated the bedroom and the kitchen from the office. So I essentially grew up watching people work. And my dad is a voracious reader. He would read books on everything. And that's kind of how he started his business is by make being a person of value and then charging people to be that expert in his particular field. Um, one of the lessons that I remember uh, being taught is you have to work for getting something in return. If, if you want, yeah, you have to work in order to get something in return. So you really watched people create value in your home. Like this became embedded with you in, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the story of my mom and dad, again, like um, kind of like rags the riches as well, because they both had different professions and they kind of found their own way into working to doing what they love doing later in life. Um, and one of the principles that my dad taught me um, was Rita, which is, oh, sorry, Tina, not Rita, Tina. And that is, there is no alternative. And I saw that because in the beginning of their life, they needed to work just to support their families. They, there was no alternative. Um, they needed to do something to get money in order to support the family. But after you, after they did that for a bit, when they had enough to start their own business or whatever, whatever they wanted, that's when, um, that's when you needed to be a person of value and create value. And then success came uh, following that. So one of the things that I learned growing up is you have to work to get what you want. You have to put the work in. And sometimes there may not be an alternative. Sometimes you may have to do something you don't like, but you have to do it in order to get where you want to get to. And sometimes you actually might inherit value as well. And that's, uh, I was speaking with a friend recently and they were having a struggle with that uh, about inheriting their their wealth or inheriting their value. And there being like a slight disconnect and this person really admitted to that, that, uh, that they're comfortable with, with, uh, inheriting that value that, uh, that their parents essentially bestowed upon them. And that's a different story than the one that we're telling between the two of us of, uh, working from the ground up. And I think this is just to recognize that there's two sides to every coin, pun intended. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I would actually add to that and say that there would be multiple sides to... Of course. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be a coin. <laughs> <laughs> to the sphere, to the yes. globe, <laughs> yeah. to the uh, the world of finance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's let's get into what financial literacy means for the both of us from the both of our perspectives. Sure. So for me, financial literacy simply means understanding the fundamentals of money and how money works and how value is created and how you can preserve wealth. 
Uh, so all of those stories that you hear about the wealth becoming wealthier, and once you have wealth, it's easier to maintain it and keep it. It's th- that's absolutely true. Uh, and just the quick example I'd, I'll give you is uh, if you're making $100,000 a year, you can hire an accountant and a bookkeeper or a tax accountant, someone who can optimize your taxes so that you get to keep more of your more of your money. And someone who's making 20000 30000 40000 a year might not be able to uh, hire that person that helps them get uh, stay ahead or keep ahead, helps them manage their money, helps them invest their money in passive income sources. Those are the things that rich people can afford or wealthy people can afford to spend their money on. And that's how wealth is preserved. But being poor is really expensive. And so financial literacy for me is about, okay, I know that being poor is expensive. How can I stop being poor? And I think for a lot of people, it's a slow battle and it's sometimes feels like a downhill battle. But I hope that through this podcast and through people understanding what cryptocurrency can offer them, uh, it's, it will become a slow uphill battle and that's really what I want to instill in people is that it can be an uphill battle. There is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel so far as I see it. Yeah. Earlier today, Keegan, you were telling me about, um, it was a podcast that you listened to and it was about, uh, what happens when inflation occurs to the wealthy. Yeah. Do you remember what exactly you told me? I do. I know exactly what I was talking about. It was a podcast by Anthony Pompliano. And uh, we can link the episode in the show notes. And what they were explaining is when inflation happens, and inflation happens every single year, the government prints some amount of money, uh, some years more than others. And 2020 is one of them. 2008 is another year where a lot of money was printed. And when that happens, uh, inflation hits the lower class a lot harder than it hits the upper class. And let's just talk about Jeff Bezos for a second. Jeff Bezos is a billionaire, a multi-billionaire. He's got multiple hundreds of billions of dollars. That's insane, right? But he's not storing that money in the bank in cold, hard cash, right? He's not looking at his bank balance and he he doesn't see, okay, I have $100 billion cash sitting in the bank. When Jeff Bezos' wealth is measured, it's measured in terms of how much his stock is worth and how much his assets is worth, right? It's measured in terms of his net worth. And his net worth is mostly tied up in assets and stocks. And assets and stocks are more valuable than cash. Cash, dollars, money, uh, things that we refer to as money, uh, depreciates over time. And the the statistic that the individual gave on this podcast was 100 years ago, the the US dollar, the the US dollar is worth 99% less than it was 100 years ago. And so if you held on to $1 100 years ago, all the way to today, you could buy, uh, it's worth 99% less than it is and has 99% less buying power. And that's staggering. That's what inflation does. And lower class individuals have most of their their money in cash, right? Because they're living paycheck to paycheck. They don't really own their house. They have a mortgage. They don't really own their, core, their car. They've got a car loan. And so they've, they're holding all their money in cash. Furthermore, they've got that piggy bank. And what's in the piggy bank? Coins cash. They've got money under the bed. What's that? That's cash. It's it's literally going down in value over time. Whereas people like Jeff Bezos, his assets are rising because the value of cash is decreasing. And that's that's how income disparity 
is perpetuated through inflation. Yeah, when you when we talked about this earlier and you told me this, we concluded that okay, our current monetary policy is designed to keep the poor poor. And that was an an incredible revelation for me because I I've seen it happen, but just putting it in words and understanding it to this this level is is incredible. And what are we doing about it? What what are we doing about no, it? No, no, no. We started a cryptocurrency <laughs> podcast. That's so true. That's what we're doing about it. That's true. Yeah. What, but I know that what you is meant- the government doing about it? What are what are people who are in charge of the monetary policy doing about it? Right, and, and that's that's a political conversation, right? There's there's all yeah. sorts of things that they are doing about it. It just doesn't seem like it's working fast enough because we've or got- efficiently, really. Exactly, right? We've got these disasters that happen every decade or so, right? In two thousand eight, we had a financial disaster. In twenty twenty, we've got this COVID thing that we're all dealing with, and these trigger economic uh, I don't know, weak points. I would say, like we've got these weird bubbles that that take place. And just the smallest pinprick could uh, have it all come come crashing down, and that's that's exactly what we saw. And we see how fragile our economic systems are. And like you just rightfully pointed out, our systems are—I wouldn't say that they're designed intentionally to keep the poor poor, but yeah, it's like it's kind of like how racism is systemic right now, right? And we've got these inherited systems that uh, that oppress certain classes of individuals. The same thing with with money. Uh, the rich people they lobby, right? They they lobby the government in order to get policies in that allow them. I don't them think for- we can very in a blanket statement say the rich people. So <laughs> let's try to be more specific. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let's say corporations, because yeah. like I I just I don't think that we can very. Sp- um directly say the rich people because that constitutes a lot of people and what is the definition of rich right like you're right it's a blanket statement yeah 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 yeah. so um, lobbying the point the point is that uh people with money with invested interest in seeing the way that things are continue business as usual you've heard that term uh they're able to put into place um policies that uh, will perpetuate their wealth and, and keep the system going as it is. And we've got some systemic uh, situations that, like you rightfully pointed out, keep poor people poor. Yeah, well, th- there's two things that I want to bring up with that statement. The first thing is cryptocurrency was invented to give empowerment of finances back to the people. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is currently, if anybody wanted to manage their finances in a way that they can invest their money in stocks or um, some sort of asset, you you need to... Um, it's actually expensive to do so, I think, is where you're going with that. Well, not only is it expensive, um, that is definitely a good point. You need to be highly educated if you want to do it yourself. That's true. Uh, well, uh, what I was getting at is the barrier to entry for that market is very high. Right. Like... I don't think I can speak numbers. You're the numbers guy. So, um, but like if someone who was, um, you know, earning $30,000 a year or less than that, how much money would they need to put aside in order to invest in like some sort of assets or, you know, they would have to talk to their financial advisor, but, or have the ability to access a financial advisor. But like in my what my impression of the way that the system is set up right now is that the barrier to access these investment resources is pretty high for someone who doesn't have enough money to put aside 
to invest in assets and stocks and everything. That's exactly that, right. That Actually, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are a lot cheaper than uh, investing in the stock market. For example, there's there's a platform that I use, and I, I'll let it go unnamed. And if I was to invest in a stock, let's just say Apple stock, it would cost me ten dollars a flat rate to actually acquire that stock. And for someone like you said, making thirty thousand dollars a year, ten dollars is maybe all that they can invest in general. And so yes, in Canada they have the TFSA or the IRSP, or, or in the states they've got a retirement savings plan uh, of some sort. But uh, that's not really all that accessible. You still need that base layer of financial literacy in order to uh, to know you even have that available to you as an option and what that actually means in terms of getting yourself into a position of wealth. Yeah, exactly. So we started talking um, about more about how cryptocurrency fits into the picture of financial literacy. Let's continue going on that tangent to talk about what access people all around the world get simply by having an internet connection to investment resources all around the world. Sure. And in order to do that, I actually want to go back to the conversation we had earlier about a mutually beneficial value exchange. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about it in terms of dollars, right? You've got apples you're selling. I'm going to give you dollars. But if I decide to give you bananas for your apples, that's totally fine too. And if I decide to give you Bitcoin for your apples, that's awesome as well, right? It's all that hinges upon that value exchange is that you and I agree on the medium of exchange. You, you were selling apples. I want to give you Bitcoin. You say yes. And now we're both better off. And that is, it's kind of like we're, we're myth busting a little bit right here because people say, oh, well, Bitcoin's not really money, right? There's no government behind it. And to that we say, well, if you're selling apples and I've got Bitcoin I want to give you and you say yes, then Bitcoin's money. At least to the two of us, it's money. Yeah. Just also want to point out that money is a belief system. Years ago, before the dollar was invented, gold was the way that we exchanged value. Before that, it was shells in parts of the world or pebbles in different parts of the world. And uh, I can't think of more examples. Well, I mean, the belief system is that those those things that you just mentioned have are value. value. Exactly. Like the two people engage, engaging in that trade are willing to agree that this is a fair trade mm -hmm. and the trade wouldn't take place if that wasn't the case, which is great. That's that's essentially the, the nature of economy. Okay, so bringing that back into how cryptocurrency empowers people financially, what did you want to connect from that point? Sure, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the unbanked and how the this there's a population of people on the planet that do not have access to financial services, uh, mostly because they're expensive and or unavailable, or in, unavailable, depending on the part of the world that you're in. Yeah, totally. So in Canada, this might seem like a strange concept because we have an excellent banking system here and bank accounts are more or less free. Uh, but in other parts of the world, uh, oh, and also on a side note, our banking systems are not corrupt. Honest, And then in other parts of the world, they are corrupt, they're expensive, and they don't operate as efficiently. They will not give services to people who don't have money. And so you need to have money to get a bank account. And so if you're trying to start up a business and get a loan or just receive money because you're a merchant and you want somewhere safe to keep your money, some of those things are not available to people. And so suddenly cryptocurrency offers them all of those things for free, unbiased access to financial services and uh, for free. 
which is great. Cryptocurrency does that simply with, by having an internet connection. Yeah, I remember that was kind of the mission statement for when Facebook came up with the proposition of having their own cryptocurrency called Libra. Right. And uh, not sure where that is headed right now. I know <laughs> that they changed the name to something else a couple of months ago. But since COVID has happened, <laughs> I think everyone's focus is a little bit more on staying afloat and uh, cutting losses instead of, I don't know, making profits. But I could be wrong. This I have a feeling that we're aspect. not going to see the end of that. The end of what, sorry? Uh, the, the end of Facebook's cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark Zuckerberg seems like he is a, a relentless person. And people, if, if that's his mission, then it seems like he would want to want it to come uh, to in one way or another and it kind of makes sense as well because there's more people who have who are on facebook uh, and who have access to the internet than there are people who have access to a bank account or financial services so it really does make sense empowering people who already are on facebook with the ability to make transactions among one another um I can also see the problems in that because there are a lot of spammers on Facebook, a lot of people who are there for the wrong purposes. And essentially, that was one of the reasons why it was shot down um, when there was a, a, was not a trial. I, I forget the correct term. It was some sort of public hearing. Yeah. yeah. Mark Zuckerberg went in front of Congress and had to explain cryptocurrency to them. That was an interesting situation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, we digress. So let's get back into how cryptocurrency empowers people around the world. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that it did for me uh, is it forced me to learn more about money and expand my conceptualization of what money is. And why that is empowering is because if you're under the thumb of your government and you're forced to use the money of that government, uh, suddenly an alternative will allow you to break out of that mold that the government has formed for you and see money in a different light, see it working in a more free kind of way. And exactly because of the reason that you just stated, I can see why governments are not super appreciative and accepting of uh, cryptocurrency. Right. Because that's how a government can lose power over its people. Right. Yeah, we see all these uh, these defund movements happening in the States right now and uh, all around the also world, quite Canada, frankly. Yeah. And, yeah. And what, what's really interesting is uh, what, what really they're talking about is a diversion of funds. Uh, and they're all talking and about diversification as well. Yeah. And they're all talking about it in terms of dollars. Let's move these dollars and put it somewhere else. And the cryptocurrency crowd is saying, well, listen, the solution is not to take the dollars and put them somewhere else is to take your dollars and put it into cryptocurrency because then you're you're out, you're opting out of the dollar system and you're opting into a global system of money that is that is shared amongst people from every country rather than just the people from your own country and so that's for me that's a really empowering aspect about cryptocurrency is that i get to actually participate in a global economy rather than a national economy well don't you think in your opinion that would very much disturb the economy of a particular nation more than it's already being disturbed <laughs> by the geopolitical landscape yeah Maybe. I'm not sure. Like We're in a pretty big state of disruption now anyway. And yeah. so I'm willing to uh, to hedge my bets in a cryptocurrency that is censorship resistant and very robust based on strong decentralized technology rather than a national currency. Yeah, that, that's, those are good points. Um, in my opinion, I think that 
there needs to be a, a currency locally to govern the nation. But I think with time, some governments have assumed too much power over their people by regulating or taking into their hands how they want to regulate um, a currency and having the option, having the freedom, being empowered with the know-how of how you can also opt out of that system and participate in a larger, more free censorship-resistant um, currency. I, I think that that's how best it will um, take place Yeah, in several parts of the world. I think so too. So let's go back to the financial literacy topic once again. Yeah, yeah. I think all of this is just all um, edging around financial literacy. Yeah, we're circling it, it really well. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's such a huge topic. I don't think it can be pinpointed and say, well, this is financial literacy. It's all of these little things combined. Um, and also to go even further, everyone's financial strategy depends on their own um, expenses and their own assets and their own means, whatever is available to them. So I think that this is a really good scratching the surface of um, providing financial literacy to our listeners. And let's continue talking about it. Well, you just hit on the exact term that I wanted to bring up. Uh, it's that's financial strategy. Yeah. Right. Everyone should have a financial strategy. And if you're not good with numbers or money, then uh, I, I really urge you to find a friend or a trusted family member, someone in your community. Or that, educate yourself. Or educate yourself. Absolutely. It, it's it's more important that you do that slowly than not at all. And in order to have a financial strategy, you need to understand a couple of base concepts. And, you know, those are accessible online. I mean, you can ask us. You can reach out to us and we, we can answer your questions and help you, uh, help you establish a financial strategy. Yeah, well, insert in here if you wanted to send us questions or, you know, have comments on what we've already talked about so far, you can email us at ready at gofullcrypto.com. And I'm Crypto Keegan on Twitter. And I'm Rogakshi Palve on Instagram and Rogakshi Palve on LinkedIn. And you can just Google our names because <laughs> we're actually probably on the internet in various places. Yeah. Okay, cool. So <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plugs. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are sponsoring ourselves. So why not? Yes. Um, so let's get to the financial strategy aspect of financial literacy. Right. Uh, when did you start implementing a financial strategy? When I actually had an income, that's, yeah, I didn't actually start having a financial strategy until I started making money. My financial strategy before I started making money, and that was about when I was 22, I graduated from university, started making money. Before then, it was just like, okay, I've got this debt and I put myself through school and, oh, now I owe money every month. And where's that going to come from? And it actually just seemed like it all hit me at once, right? I'm sure a lot of our listeners might be able to, uh, to empathize. They graduate from school. They've got inundated with debt. Now what? Now what happens? Well, now you've got to make payments and you have to actually have a strategy and a plan and a budget. That's, those are tough things to establish, especially when you're, you're not used to having that kind of uh, strategy. So at one point, did you realize that you need to have a, like a strategy? Because a strategy feels like such an ambiguous word. What does that even mean? Um, and from what you just said, what I understand is you needed to pay off bills. Yeah. And your, that was your goal. Even from episode two, where we covered how you paid off your debt, your goal was to get rid of debt. Yes. And you um, circulated 
your financial strategy to directly um, meet that target? Yeah, so I went and saw my financial advisor, a financial advisor at my bank, uh, very soon after I started my first job. And he was very useful. He explained some pretty fundamental concepts to me. I was like, okay, I like cash. I don't like the stock market. I want to avoid what happened in 2008. I don't want my money to, to fall out of thin air. And so I like cash. And he's like, well, cash is not all that great of an investment. You put that $10,000 over there and it's going to grow at a rate of 0.5%. It's going to grow really, really slowly. And so it's actually better in the stock market. I was like, okay, investments are better, but I still don't like the stock market. And that was my trigger to look into cryptocurrency. Wait, why didn't you like the stock market? I didn't like the stock market because I was I was affected by what happened in 2008 because I did understand the stocks, stock market and financial assets well enough to understand that it's, uh, it's market forces that governs it. And then every so often there are these events that take place that cause, the, uh, cause a market crash. And I did not want my money in the market to go through a market crash. So you chose a highly volatile industry to invest your money instead. <laughs> That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, I did see the potential for uh, for wealth and very aggressive gains in cryptocurrency, whereas I, I, didn't, I couldn't justify myself investing in a, uh, a market that I perceived to be corrupt. And that's what I saw the stock market as. I didn't see them actually fix the stock market after 2008. I did a little bit more research and I was like, okay, well, things look like business as usual. And it doesn't actually look like they changed anything or made any really lasting um, changes to the stock market in order to avoid what happened in 2008. Yeah. Whereas here over here, we, we have, we've got this cryptocurrency happening, Bitcoin, Ethereum. We've got this, this whole world that is unhinged and operating completely independently from the ground up. It's brand new. It's technology. It's internet. I just got my comp my degree in computer science. All of that really resonated with me because of because it's diametrically opposed to the thing that I saw as corrupt. Okay. Yeah. So those are your reasons to choose crypto. Yeah, and I want to go back to the financial advisor because okay. <laughs> he uh, he explained cash is a bad investment. He explained that. Uh, Investments will make your money grow faster, longer over a period of time. And the third thing that he explained, we covered this in episode two, pay yourself first. And what does paying yourself mean? It means starting a savings account. And a savings account for us in Canada, that's a tax-free savings account. That's a RRSP. For Americans, it's something else. For other people in the world, hopefully they have a, some sort of government-sponsored savings plan. My savings plan is in Bitcoin. I take my savings and I choose to pay myself with Bitcoin. I don't keep any cash for my savings. I choose to pay myself in an asset that I see has long-term potential over time. How did your financial advisor feel about your choice? Uh, well, I actually did not adopt that strategy until uh, probably 2018 when I started taking my salary in Bitcoin. And literally, I started paying myself in, in Bitcoin yeah, <laughs> uh, and just receiving all of my money in Bitcoin. Uh, I did tell my financial advisor about that afterwards. And, um, you know, you always get some really strange looks when you tell people that you're <laughs> taking your salary in Bitcoin. People, yeah, go ahead. Up until now, anyway, we don't know what the future holds and the more adoption and the more education people receive on what form of money Bitcoin really is and what form of other cryptocurrency investments exist. 
um, it's, it's only a matter of adoption and understanding. Yeah. To get to a point where people don't give us looks. <laughs> uh, so I, I scroll through Twitter sometimes and I, there's one meme that it's a recurring meme. Uh, and it says it's, it's uh, from one person's point of view, it says it's, it's really irresponsible to have all your money in Bitcoin. And then the reply to that is, it's really irresponsible <laughs> to have none of your money in Bitcoin. And I'm, I'm thinking there, like, yeah, that's, that's really true. <laughs> oh, I thought the response were gonna be, was going to be, it's really irresponsible to have all of your money in cash. That, I, there's probably variations of that meme, and that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so once again, you started paying yourself with Bitcoin. Yeah. Because later on as we discovered in episode two that was how you paid off a majority of your student debt yeah so now that you don't have student debt anymore um actually I'm, i was gonna ask you what your financial strategy is past or post paying off debt but maybe that's something to cover at another time um i also want to cover a little bit of my story with respect to my financial strategy and what i know of financial literacy to reflect, um, to resonate with a different kind of audience. So very fortunately, I didn't have to pay for university because uh, just culturally my parents paid for my university. And I was very grateful and thankful for that. And well, after that, I didn't know that there were, I didn't know how the stock market worked. Every time that I thought, uh, or every time that I heard the word stock market, I imagined green and red lines going up and down and just looking like a bar chart, yeah. something that I wouldn't be able to understand. And well, I was like, okay, cool. That's probably something that I don't want to get into because it was intimidating. Um, and then the next thing, the, the thing that I grew up learning is I needed to make myself a person of value if I wanted to earn any amount of money. And that's essentially what I did. I taught myself how to uh, repair phone screens. And that kind of became like a side hustle that I was doing when I was in my first year of university. And I was involved in robotics growing up and I loved tinkering around with robots and hardware anyway. So it definitely fell in my interest. Um, and with respect to my violin, I, you know, was looking for a way where I could empower myself with more knowledge so I could earn money being a violin teacher. And that's something that I did as well. So I didn't quite know how to grow the money that I already had by investing it in something else so that I could make my money work for me. What I did know is making myself more valuable so I could do more things to earn more money. And I think that a combination of being a valuable person as well as having your money work for you is what uh, would be a very balanced strategy, financial strategy for everyone. Um, and not that, you know, you, you got your computer science degree as did I, and you also made yourself a person of value, but you also had a fascination for money and you had the aptitude to go out and look for a way to invest your money in something. That's right. So what I just heard from you is that you invested in yourself. I invested in myself. That is correct. Like through education, you bought yourself some education so that you become a, a person of more value yeah. in the future. And that's what I did with, with more respect to my university degree. And after that, I saw, okay, I have sufficient value in order to take me so far now. And now I'm going to start paying myself and making that money grow for me. 
And that's sort of the development that I see you going through as well. Yeah, absolutely. So once we met and once I got into cryptocurrency, I, I realized the importance of making my money work for me and found ways where it was not as complicated as I thought it was. So even right now, if I wanted to invest money in stocks, I would have to go um, like either to a financial advisor or I know that there's other applications like well, simple and Questrade and all of that where you can just upload your not upload your money wow uh, <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of i guess deposit some of your money and um I, i'm not sure how that works still what i like about investing in crypto is i can see everything that is happening and has happened again not sure if that happens with stocks but i find that the barrier to entry into the cryptocurrency market from my experience was much lower than anything that i had heard of from the stock market and investing in assets via that. Yeah, because it's built by tech people and they've built awesome user interfaces and user experiences, flows built for people who don't necessarily know how to invest in the stock market. You know, I can send an e-transfer to this app, then I can hit that buy button and boom, I've got Bitcoin. And it actually is that simple. Whereas if, like you said, if I want to go and buy stocks, I need to sit down and have like a like write out a to-do list. Okay, call my financial advisor, figure out how to get that money into that platform, pay some fees, and it's a it's a much more convoluted process. Unless other apps like I alluded to earlier or mentioned earlier make it simple. But I don't think either of us know much about that because we're so entrenched in the cryptocurrency. Well, market. I think Wealth Simple actually does both. Oh, yeah. Well, just recently they did announce that they are introducing investments in Ethereum and Bitcoin. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm pretty sure Wealthsimple does simplify uh, investing in stocks. And now they're also diving into the cryptocurrency realm because believe it or not, cryptocurrency is becoming way more legitimate than it used to be. And these big companies, these big investment companies and banks and governments all alike are jumping on the crypto train because it's awesome. And Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Okay. So we've talked so much about financial literacy and I know we have some more topics to get into, but let's cover triggers of change and uh, what has happened in the economic landscape in the past couple of months with COVID hitting the world and, you know, stock market crashing, talking about that really popular meme where in the same TV screen, you can see that uh, there are more than how many, you had a numbers guy. How many people unemployed? Oh, I, I forget the number right now, but it's, it's millions. A large of, amount. It's like 20 million Americans are unemployed, at least. Okay. And then the pot, the stock market was uh, performing better than ever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a really staggering image to look at and think about who's pulling the strings here. Right. Like, what's really happening? Who's making the money for whom? And that's something that we will cover in the next episode. I think we've given our audience to lo a lot to think about. And I do want to say one more thing about go cash. Ahead. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is kind of going back to the the discussion that we uh, I had with my financial advisor, and what he said was cash is essentially for spending. That's the function of cash. That cash is really worthless other than for spending, right? It doesn't actually hold value very well. In fact, it goes down in value over time. And so when you are managing your paycheck and you're figuring out what to do with your paycheck, if you have a paycheck, uh, you are to how much how much expenses do I have? Like how much do I need for rent? 
and the rest of it, you should figure, be figuring out how to make that grow. And so the takeaway there is that cash is for spending. It's not for growing your wealth. It's just not. And that, that is a fundamental lesson that I've had to learn. And so that's why I personally don't hold much cash. I hold enough cash to, to make me through the month. And then the rest of my, my money is, uh, is sitting in investments. Uh, that's, that's a really good point to state. So in summary, for anyone, for everyone listening, it's not necessary that you have a financial strategy. But if you want to make your money work for you, if you want to increase and improve your quality of life, then it's best for you to have one. And your financial strategy is going to differ from our financial strategy. It has to be curated solely for you because you are the one creating, bringing value into your life, bringing money into your life. And it really just has to be all about you. So if we were to summarize some of the lessons that we learned growing up and some of the things we talked about is pay yourself first. Take money for yourself to put aside for a rainy day. This is an emergency fund. Um, and that also, that does not include the money that you put aside for investment. So pay yourself first, put money aside for a rainy day. And that's essentially it because putting money aside for investment, that's where it gets tricky. How much money, when do you put it in? What do you choose to grow your money? What kind of investments do you choose? How much do you fill around with it? Do you let it sit? What kind of strategy there works for you? What, you know, what is, if you're in crypto, if you want to get into crypto, then what is your crypto strategy? And simply by doing that, simply by putting that money away in investments, deciding to doing to do that, making that decision, is, is going to propel you to learn more about finances. That That is your financial literacy class, is just making that decision. That's your first step, is to, okay, I hear what you're saying, and yeah, that makes sense. I am going to put some amount away, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is. And that will start you down a road where you can uh, become more uh, wealthy than, than you were yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to your crypto strategy, that's what we're all about. And that's what we're here to help you with. So stay tuned on our website and we will obviously announce things as they come out. But figuring out what your crypto strategy is our jam. All right, let's uh, let's close this with, with a thank you. <laughs> stay tuned, everyone. <laughs>